0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, And you should get out here to ride soon because most of our trails are now open between Gunnison and Mount Crested Butte, including as of this weekend, June 12th, the Evolution Bike Park at Crested Butte Mountain Resort. So whether you want to get your long, epic pedal on, or whether you want to ride chairlifts and get your DH on, literally, we got it all going on right now. So come check it out. Okay, our guest today is Hannah Bergman, who is the person whom Katie Holden once paid what might be the greatest compliment of all time when she said, I think Hannah is the future. And if you've seen Hannah ride, you'll understand where Katie was coming from. We wanted to talk to Hannah now because she had just recently wrapped up the second year of Red Bull formation, So I wanted to get her take on the event and see how it was similar to and how it was different from the first year of formation. And I wanted to talk a bit about what else she's got going on now and about her future plans. In this conversation, Hannah does a great job of fleshing out all the details and the dynamics of this second year of formation. And so let's go ahead and get to our conversation. Here we go. Well, Hannah, we've just been through a bit of an adventure in technology. I feel like we've really bonded over the last, like, hour and 43 minutes. So, appreciate that journey we've just been on together. I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, it wasn't that interesting of a journey, in case people are wondering. But, uh, you know, we, we got to a good spot. Yeah. So, I appreciate your perseverance (laughs) <laughs> Your efforts at creative problem solving, you know, here we are. Here we are. On that note, how are you today and where are you currently?
1: Today I'm doing well and currently I'm at my house in Bellingham, Washington.
0: Bellingham, Washington. And you were recently in Utah. When did you actually get back to Bellingham?
1: Um, Almost a week ago. It was last Wednesday.
0: And we're going to be talking in large part about this trip of yours to Utah. Why don't you tell us a little bit? It's always kind of fun for me to make people try to summarize an event like formation. How do you like talk about this thing?
1: It's an event where it's non non-com- non competitive, which is key point, but more of a progression session style format. Um, a collection of female freeride athletes getting together in Virgin Utah, which is kind of a very iconic place for freeride mountain biking and building lines in the desert for about a week.
0: Were you guys exactly in the old Rampage venue or like nearby? Like how did how does that work?
1: All the venues from the entire entirety of Rampage are all within a pretty short distance of each other. So, we were at the uh 2013 site and 2012 they used it but it's right next to the 2015 site which is right next to the 2019 sites they're all pretty close
0: i'm very interested in your take on this year's formation versus the original 2019 we missed it you know last year because of covid etc so i guess that'd be a good place for us to start talk a bit about this second go around versus the first
1: um, yeah, so Formation, for those that aren't super familiar, is an event um, started by one of my friends, Katie Holden, who's also somewhat of a pioneer in free ride mountain biking. Um, she lives here in Bellingham, which is how I know her. She started the event in 2019 um, just as with the idea of gathering a bunch of women who are wanting to push the sport and push their riding in a different direction. Um, so we all kind of got together the first year and we didn't really know what we were getting into. Like she kind of just told me a couple of months before, like, Hey, I have this idea for an event down in Utah and I would love to have you there. So just put it on your calendar. I can't really tell you the details yet, but we're still like working it out. And I was like, cool, that sounds great. Um, and I had ridden there a few times before. So love riding there and was um, just stoked to go back to the desert. So she put that together, invited, I think there was six or seven athletes the first year and uh, we all got together and uh, yeah like I said I didn't really quite know what we were doing like she was kind of like yeah we'll give you access to this venue and you can build whatever line you want and then you can ride it but there's not really a a format to it yet like we kind of just have this time and this space for you to do it and we'll provide you with the resources to do it Um, so we were like okay we'll figure this out and I was pretty excited about the idea of like putting a full line together, like t- from the top of the venue to the bottom. And so that was kind of just my my rough goal for the week. And um, so the collective group of us ladies w- were able to like put a couple lines together and write them to the bottom. And I think that first year we weren't like fully sure like what we were capable of and with that time frame and the resources that we had or, and a lot of us hadn't really spent much time riding there, let alone digging there and building lines there, which is kind of a whole nother <clears throat> process. But so with that in mind, we weren't really keen to like bite off a huge project or like really just throw ourselves off the deep end. Um, but I feel like for, for that, what we had in that first year, we did a pretty good job at building and routing within our skill set, but also pushing ourselves and pushing the sport a bit. Um, So then coming into 2021, we weren't allowed to have it last year because of COVID. But 2021, we were able to have the event again, this time in the spring. The first year was in the fall. Um, And we moved it to the spring to kind of give it some separation from Rampage, which I can touch on later. But a lot of people were like, oh, it's Women's Rampage, but we're kind of wanting it to be its own thing. And this year we had a much more clear idea of like what the event entailed and what we could do in the timeframe that we were given and the resources that we had. And so everyone was really keen to go at it a bit harder and build bigger things, longer lines, push themselves, and then push each other to accomplish our goals. So I think that was the, the biggest difference is just having a little more experience and a little different mindset going into it
0: super cool. I mean, first year, step one, let's just go to this spot and literally start looking around and figuring some things out. Step two, okay, we did step one. We can come in with a bit more clarity, kind of makes perfect sense and actually sounds really cool.
1: Yeah, it was pretty
0: rad. It's so funny. Anytime anyone is talking about formation, it is it is always underscored. Like, this is not a competition. This is a collaborative sort of event and process. And I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Vero Sandler, who was like, I'm really hoping I can make it. I'm really not sure if I'm going to be able to with travel restrictions and the rest. But it was really interesting how much she was really underscoring. And she was like, I really, really hope this doesn't, doesn't become more of a competition And I just thought that was interesting. It's like, well, I don't know. I mean, everybody there is riding at a really high level, probably isn't that afraid of competition, maybe kind of gets off on it a bit. But it was so interesting hearing Vero, like, I really hope this doesn't turn this corner. And one of the things I was curious to ask you about was the conversations on the ground this year at Formation. On the one hand... It wouldn't surprise me if maybe you or some of the other riders were like, "This is cool," and as this evolves, we would like to see this move into a bit of a competition. But I'm curious if you could tell us a bit about what the actual conversations on the ground were like.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone at the event, participants especially, were pretty are pretty happy with the fact that it's not a competent it's not competitive it just provides for like it's already such a stressful and like intense project that you're taking on like just adding that whole competitive element like right off the bat is just makes it even more overwhelming and like i think the the main goals of this event are to progress women's free ride mountain biking as a whole progress our skill sets as riders and by not having a competition we can actually accomplish those goals better so yeah i think as far as the conversations on the ground go we're all super happy with where it's at and don't really want to see it get competitive ever like we're competitive with ourselves and we want to do well but it's not like you're directly comparing scores or lines or anything like that um and there's a lot of benefits to that as well like we're able to ride each other's lines and nobody owns a line there's no like weirdness with like this is mine and this is yours like we're all pushing each other like hey I'll guinea pig this feature so you can come ride it and then see what it's like. And, and it just levels everybody up, um, which is the main goal. And it would be like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a competitive event of this style, like in the future, more women's free ride events popping up. But as far as formation goes, I think where it's at is pretty key and has a sp- has its space.
0: Yeah. I mean, it strikes me too, that by making this a competition, It might also really disincentivize people to try stuff that they're not sure. It's like, okay, I I better really dial this back a bit and like make sure you can do it, which would then kind of exactly contradict the whole purpose of what you guys are trying to do out there. And you can
1: accomplish so much more when you collaborate with someone, like as far as the build quality and how the length of what you can do in in a short amount of time is exponentially increased when you can collaborate and like put your teams together and um and it's way more fun that way than like being put against each other i guess
0: so for you personally for this week did you find yourself i don't know talking more with one or two of the people there you know getting into like scoping out certain things building particular sections of of trail I just be curious if it was like I kind of doubt that it was like I spent exactly the same amount of time talking and toward working with each person there right so for you personally how did that go
1: yeah I ended up um I hung out with like almost everyone quite a bit but as far as yeah I definitely ended up um riding a bit more with Casey Brown and a bit with um, Sam Soriana, Vinnie Armstrong, and Jess Blewitt, who are Jess and Vinny are both from New Zealand and Sam's from the U S Casey's Canadian, primarily with Casey, because when we were choosing lines, her and I had a similar interest for parts of the same line. So our teams got to collaborate on, um, bits of that line.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about digging and, and building lines. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but most of your trail building has happened in Bellingham. Mm-hmm. So, like, to what extent is it like? Well, if you develop an eye for building this, you can kind of then show up in any location around the world. Like, how universal, you know, are these kind of skill sets? Versus, no, not that universal. It really starts getting pretty location specific.
1: Yeah, totally. It's um, so like the differences between. Pacific Northwest and Utah primarily comes down to like the like the trees and the soil is very different here like we have a lot of moisture in the soil and we have like organic and mineral soil that is good for different applications when trail building we have trees so we can use wood and you have to obviously plan your routes your trail routes and features around the tree spacing um, which you don't have to do in Utah you have a lot more space you have this a lot of exposure from the lack of trees and then the soil super different you have all these like layers of rock and um, some of it's harder or softer than others um, but as far as like the skill set the trail building skill sets that you learn here like it's applicable in utahs so, like i was able to take all the things that i've been learning here from my own trail building and then apply it there and it obviously there's a bit of a learning curve and you have to change some things and figure it out but for the most part it was I was able to puzzle it and um, the proof of that is the person that I brought to dig with me this year Finn he had never been to Utah to ride or dig before and he digs all the time here in Bellingham but he was able to figure it out and learn how to ride this style of terrain that style of terrain as well as digging it just fine and the main issue being the lack of moisture in the desert is like huge cuz here we're just you can use any soil and pack it together form it however you want but there you have to like bring all your moisture in that
0: you want to use so then in terms of traction cuz it's like you you know watching some of the sn- snippets i mean really from any year whether it's at rampage or the first formation or some of the stuff from this one And you're like, first of all, it looks real dry there. Second, probably pretty hot. And so I just found myself kept thinking about like, what's the traction like here? Or did you just go hose down kind of everything? Like, talk to me a little bit about that. Because some of those lines, it's like, traction doesn't look great. And I don't want to fall there.
1: Right. It's a little weird to get used to, but you surprisingly do have a lot of traction. Like we rode a couple days prior to the event starting um, on some trails that are already existing out there one called king kong which is like a pretty famous one um just to kind of get the feel for it and you have to do a lot of tweaks to your bike setup because the because of the different style there but it works surprisingly well like the dirt packs up in a way that provides enough traction to slow down quickly and efficiently you just kind of have to learn to trust
0: it talk about some of the main tweaks
1: I bumped up my tire pressure like crazy just because it's so rocky there. You, you want to have like, I think I had like 35 and 40 PSI in my tires. And then a lot of it's like with suspension setup. like I increase the pressure like 10 or 15% from what I normally run. Cause you don't really need any small bump sensitivity there. You're just like doing these big compressions and then brakes control stuff. So you, I kind of bump up air pressure in the shock and fork bump up compression, um and then slow down and rebound a lot, so you don't want to get kicked at any point. you want it to be stuck to the ground as much as possible.
0: I don't normally think of when I'm trying to increase traction, I don't think of bumping up p s i
1: You don't really get a lot of your traction there from like the like in the Pacific Northwest you know you get a lot of traction here with having that lower pressure from more contact with the ground, but you don't really get that as much in Utah. It's like you get a lot of traction from like the dirt packing behind the tire is, is my theory. I don't know if this is accurate or not, but kind of what it feels like, like you're, it's almost like when you're riding in sand, how like the the sand like packs up behind your, your wheel. Like that's kind of what slows you down almost. It's not like it's when it's loose and um, the looseness is actually what gives you traction as long as you're kind of staying in a straight line. Maybe that doesn't make sense, but it it makes sense if you ride out there.
0: Or I basically hear you saying, don't worry about traction, just ride straight. (laughs) You definitely want to try and ride pretty straight for sure. So you talked a little bit about some of the people there that you ended up, you know, looking at lines with because there was some, you know, similarity in terms of the stuff you were eyeing, the stuff you're most interested in. I mean... It's Virgin, Utah. It's seems like a lot of pretty similar stuff to ride. So I guess I'm interested in the question of like, how diverse was the range of what you all were kind of looking at and eyeing up? Talk a little bit about that
1: everyone kind of comes from different areas of the world and has different skill sets. Like the girls from New Zealand are riding bike park all summer and just have like amazing style on jumps and like can, can look comfortable on just about anything. And like in the Pacific Northwest and in Canada, like Casey and myself tend to ride a lot of steep technical lines that are a little slower, um, and, and kind of weird or, um, like brake control focused. like, and then one of the gals, Chelsea, who's from Utah and spends a lot of time there, has a lot of experience and loves riding big drops and like blind drops because that's a, um, something that's very common out there. So each of those, th- those are like three examples of differences in line choice that you could find out there. So like the line that I was immediately drawn to was kind of this like centerpiece line that was fall line down the middle of the mountain because it was steep, but it had all these cool techie features to it. Um, and it looked like it flowed fall line through the, the mountain in a really cool way. But then like Chelsea was drawn to this like big drop on the side of a ridge. And then some of the other girls were drawn to more of like a jump focused line of down at the bottom. And then like Via and Cami were kind of over on the far lookers right ridge, which was like a, a spiny ridge that ended in a couple different options at the bottom and ended in a, some big drops or more of like a big, long, centered jump. So different styles for each person that just, they were drawn to different things.
0: That was an incredibly good answer. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, and super helpful. Another thing I'm interested in is the fact that you do some coaching. Mm -hmm. And I tend to think like once you have somebody who is kind of in the coaching game, that side of their brain probably never totally turns off. And so you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I was interested in asking you, you know, from the first formation to this year, two, to what extent were you learning new things, right, that would kind of be along the lines of, like, coaching tips that you could pass on to people, versus just being there again, right? And it's le- it's more like it was m- more important to be back again. You already have some familiarity with the venue, as opposed to like, here's three important bullet points that you could pass along as a coach to another rider to kind of coach them up, right? If that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So like the, the things that come to my brain with that question are like, and that this is transferable across all skill levels really is like just that whole process of looking at a feature that you want to ride, visualizing it, and then getting yourself in the right headspace and confident enough to make it happen and like and regardless of where you're at like that could be a, a curb drop all the way up to like a rampage line like it's the same process so I like to I feel like every time I go to these events or like have these experiences I'm refining that process and getting better at it or adding new elements to it so like this year I was building features that nobody had really written in a long time or had never seen anyone ride so they were all really new to me and to everyone so it was almost like guinea pigging the features in a sense that I had to fully rely on my visualization of how the feature was gonna work to then um ride it. Like I wasn't able to watch anyone do it and then be able to see how it was done. Like I had to figure it out on my own and then do it. So like that's kind of one of the most like underrated pieces of that style of writing is like going like relying on your gut and your vision to build something and then ride it for the first time. Um, and that's something I talk to my kids that I coach all the time about, like, you know, it's going, refining your process in your brain for how you want to tackle that task and whatever it is.
0: That's great. That makes a ton of sense, actually. What's your best tip on the visualization front to like try to prime that pump or get somebody in like, okay, I'm supposed to visualize, see myself doing this. Do you have any other, like even more specific tip about how to get into that mindset or do it or what works for you?
1: It's tough because it's kind of a feeling like you have to learn how to like, listen to that feeling that you get that says that it's a a green light and you're ready to go. Like, Um, I kind of work on that with the kids I coach, like, you know, if something's red, like I can't see myself doing it, like I'm not visualizing success, then you learn what that feels like. And then the next step is like a yellow light. So I kind of see it, but I'm not feeling confident yet, but I'm like starting to visualize it. And then the green light is like, yep, I'm feeling confident, I want to do this. And you kind of just have to learn to distinguish those different levels and they're kind of just feelings that you have when you see something. And just over time, by going through that process on a variety of features, you get better at it and then you can get it confidently most of the time.
0: So how did that work out for you at formation? Like, were there certain things that you were thinking about and it never got past the red and you're like okay i'm going to respect that and you moved over to some other things or did everything come around for you that you kind of had your eye on
1: luckily this everything came around for me at this event like and it, it i definitely had to go through that process though with each feature and that's like the tough thing about putting a full line together is you're breaking the whole thing apart and doing that with every single aspect of it until you have it all on green and then you can do it top to bottom. So like a lot of people see that full run, like, oh, that was cool. Like you made it from the top to the bottom, but like, it's those pieces of putting it together. It's like where the real challenge lies. Um, But yeah, for this event, luckily everything came around and I was able to link it together. Um, And once you've done that, like you've done most of the work, it's like, once you can ride from the top and like, you've already kind of Set yourself up for success. It's really just that puzzling process that happens before. That's the real challenge for me, at least.
0: What was the scariest or sketchiest thing you saw at Formation this year?
1: Oof. From myself or from like the
0: whole group? Both. I want two different answers.
1: Well, I had one pretty good crash there on the first ride day, I think. I was like trying to hit this like long jump and miscalculated the amount of compression force and like ended up getting chucked over the bars and luckily landed in a pretty soft spot, but it was definitely, yeah, like tough going into the first ride day and having that experience. Cause then I started to doubt my calculating, calculating abilities. Um, uh, And then just some of the lines, like the first time you ride something, it's always just like that. You have to trust your, your vision. And so like, you definitely have those nerves and those jitters and um, like drop. i riding from, I think the, the most nervous one for me, or like the sketchiest one for me, was riding that top section, the very top of the line. It was a super steep entrance into a little rock, like a one-foot wide rock bridge catch, and then you dive down onto into a chute and onto a bench cut. And the first time I rode it, I was so nervous that I didn't really tell anyone that I was dropping in. I just kind of was like, "Okay, time to go," and like was super focused on on it and my dig team was still down on the bottom of the the bench cut (laughs) they were still like you know moving some some clearing the path for me and so i like kind of drop in and i'm expecting that someone would say that i was dropping because there's like lots of camera crews and stuff and um casey was up there with me and um i kind of drop in and it's like pretty spicy at the top like real brake control steep and then he hit the the bench cut and i like start this is the first time anyone had ridden it it was like like i was guinea pigging it essentially and like started to dive like down to ride the shoe. And I see them all on the bench cut still. there, like working away, not paying attention. And I started yelling at them. I was like, watch out, watch out. And they luckily like, and this is as I'm coming into the feature, they all like pin themselves against this like bench. And I'm able to just squeak right by it. And then I just stop and turn around and roll like, whoa, that was really sketchy. <laughs> um, but luckily it was totally fine. And we were able to laugh about it, but um, it just goes to show how quickly things can like get a little out of control out there. And, Um, Yeah. So that was definitely one of my sketchier moments. And I learned everyone was kind of joking with me before that because I had kept dropping into things without telling people because I was just in my head, like focused. And I just would forget to call my drop. And um, that was okay. After that, I need to be more mindful about calling my drop. And the camera crews were very appreciative of that after it was getting better.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, you know, they say... Communication is key in any relationship, perhaps especially if you're about to like skewer somebody with your bar end or something. So this surprises me a little bit about you. I would, I would, you know, coach, I would have thought that like you would be really on about, hey, everybody, we're dropping now.
1: We're still learning. We're
0: still learning. I I learned my lesson there. Okay. Well, good. You know, it's, it's what they always say in like every communication is key in any relationship Yeah. yet again, even at formation Yep. or especially at formation, perhaps.
1: Especially at formation. Yeah. And some other girls had some good crashes, but, um, in some, we had some sketchy moments, but everyone came out healthy. And so in the end it was good. And we all learned a lot.
0: Now I told you about recently, I just had this dumb crash of mine where Every single person is always like, oh, yeah, it always happens when like you're doing nothing. I'm about to put I'm about to put the lie to this, though, because I'm going to guess that at formation, all the crashes did not happen at the very bottom when everybody was done (laughs) with their runs. People were crashing, actually doing really cool things.
1: For sure. Yeah. But everyone was able to to stay healthy. I think maybe part of it's like when you're somewhat expecting that you could crash, you are better at taking the crash. Like you're able to handle it and move your bike in a way that maybe you can roll out of it better. And that's not always true, obviously, but that's my justification, I guess.
0: This actually does make some sense. And no one has actually articulated it that way. They're always like, oh yeah, it always happens when you're not expecting it and you're riding the easy stuff. But that part about you're just not remotely prepared fair, but I wanted somebody to finally say, no, sometimes you crash doing like (laughs) gnarly hard things. I
1: mean, there's video evidence of people crashing pretty hard at Rampage and, and out there. So it happens for sure. But
0: I asked you about some of the scariest and sketchiest stuff that either you did or you saw. Talk to me about some of your favorite moments, unless unless you're sadistic and watching other people <laughs> blow up, what's your favorite parts.
1: Nah, there are so many good moments. Like uh, the good moments far outweighed the sketchy moments, and in quantity and quality. So yeah, some of my just like getting to see everyone like pick through their lines and check off the big features that had been haunting them all week was just uh, so rewarding and like everyone had put so much work into um building these features like you spend three days building plus you end up refining your builds even into your ride days like it's meant to be three dig days three ride days but we dug well into our ride days and so yeah everyone put tons of work in the athletes the diggers and everyone that was part of the event so yeah super satisfying to see everyone like finally put the puzzle pieces together and get through their lines. And for me, that was, you know, right writing that upper top section. Once I, <laughs> once I'd ridden it with all my diggers in the way, I was able to go back up and, and clean it up and, and then successfully get through that feature, which we actually had a funny name for that one. They called um, the fallopian tube. Cause you kind of like came down this steep tube and then got shot out the bottom. And so I think Casey, Casey named that one. Um, yeah. And then there was another feature on my line that had, like, uh, a a, roll, a steep roll and then a little, like, center pad and then a big drop at the bottom. It was, like, not quite a double drop, but, like, roll to drop, like, in quick succession. And that feature is what I spent most of my dig time working on with my team because it was a feature that um, I didn't really collaborate on with any of the other gals. Um, and so we just didn't have as much as many folks there to help us build it and so it took a lot of time and we it took it it required it ended up requiring a lot of work and um, so that getting to eventually ride that feature was super satisfying and it ended up being the last feature that I rode prior to linking the whole line together it was like the last piece that I needed in it and I was real nervous about it and it it worked super well so I was really stoked on how that went and then after the double drop there was after the big drop in the line, there was like a big step up after two. So it was like a pretty just jam packed little section and it came together.
0: So you talked really well about the difference between year one and year two. You've had a few days now. I wanna hear a couple predictions about year three. Like, if you saw this pretty pronounced difference between the first and second year event, what do you kind of envision from you know for next year?
1: yeah, I think look, continue to go in that same direction, just like we'll have more experience with the build the building process, like we could definitely expended a lot of energy like figuring things out, making mistakes and learning where to put water and all that. so I think all of us having this experience will lend to being able to build bigger and safer things next year, like just. I think that's a key thing is building features so that they set you up for success and that they're as safe as possible. Um, And then, and that just allows you to go bigger, right? So like if you have a big wide landing, you're able to make your drop bigger or your jump bigger. And, and, and that's why, like, if you look at rampage in 2019, it's so much bigger compared to even 2015. It's like, just like once you learn how to make things, in a way that sets you up for success, you can just make it bigger. So I think we'll head in that direction next year. And I I think people will, the gals will get better at connecting their full lines. Like we had a little bit of gals struggle to like connect the line completely in one full pull. Like it's really tough to like link all those pieces together. And so I think we'll get better at like doing these long, smooth, full runs and all the way to the bottom.
0: You forgot one key thing. Communication. Communication is going to be better next year.
1: It's going to be better for sure. Yeah. Well, it. yeah, yeah.
0: See, I'm going to, maybe we should talk next year before (laughs) before you go. And I'll be like, remember, tell the filmers and tell the diggers you're going. It's the basics.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The basics for sure. Can't forget them. Yeah.
0: Feel free to hit me up if you're like, hey, what was that one thing that we talked about before? Yeah. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about, what you're up to with transition. Cause I find this quite interesting. Tell me a little bit about that relationship.
1: Yeah, so I started, I got brought in officially with transition in January of 2020. So right before the pandemic really was in full swing. And my role was they wanted to give me the space to be an athlete and like pursue this free ride mountain biking thing that I was kind of trying to figure out. And and then they also, but they also wanted me to be a part of the company. So they kind of put me in this like marketing position where I'm able to work with the marketing team and just do all sorts of random branding tasks that are required for a bike company, which has been super awesome. I didn't really have a whole lot of experience with that going into it. And I've learned a ton. And I feel like our team here is really awesome. like, work super well together and produce a lot of cool content. And it's just a really cool role because it allows me to do both. Like I get to like pursue this athlete. Position um, and progress my riding and my skill set as an athlete, but then I also have the support and the learning experience of working for and with a bike company here in town, and like have um, a really rad team that I get to work with every day.
0: I'm kind of stepping out here, so please correct me if if you, if you think I've got this wrong, but I feel like I'm seeing this a bit more, like both in the bike industry and in the ski industry, where like really high level athletes are also taking on, you know, and, and filling certain like work responsibilities at a a company. And I actually see that as a really good thing.
1: Yeah, totally. I agree.
0: So I guess the first part is, do you see a bit more of that going on? That would, I guess, be the first part of the question. And then the second is like, I don't know, just having that opportunity to develop and being kind of forced to develop that broader sense, you know, to see like the inner workings of a business more. I see that as a positive, but, but talk to me a little bit about, I guess, both of those things.
1: Yeah, I I fully agree. I don't, I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head of other athletes doing that model, but so I'm not sure that I've seen it happen more often recently, but I wouldn't be surprised. And it's just a model that transition has been doing for a long time. Like, Um, Laura Sternberg, for example, he's an employee of transition, was brought on originally as an athlete and then kind of worked in this dual athlete employee role for transition. And then he's sort of taken that original model that he started and applied it to more people at the company and more athletes and um, I think it's a really cool way of doing it, um, partially because I think they're a rad company and I love the the folks that work there and getting to work with them is great. I'm learning a ton about the inner workings of a bike company and w- gaining all these different skill sets that I wouldn't get to otherwise. Like, I get to be kind of a part of this community versus just being like an athlete that they hire to work for them. So it feels more
0: inclusive. It's funny too, because before we were having this conversation, as I was looking at some of the... Other interviews that you've had, and and some stuff, basically where you were just being quoted. I was like, you seem like somebody who has a bit of that eye toward the business end of things, and I was a bit curious. Like, had you kind of always had that, or do you feel like that's come on more since you've been working at Transition?
1: Um, I'm not really sure. I would say probably more of a learned thing since working here. Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot just getting to work with the team. And yeah, so I would say it's just something I picked up.
0: Thanks for that segue or interlude about transition and what you're up to there. Back to formation for a sec. Talk to me about this rider's Choice Award.
1: Yeah, it was, um, I didn't really know it was part of the event until it happened, but um, Arcteryx, which is one of the sponsors of the event, did a, a, they called it Evolution in Action award and it was essentially a rider's choice like all the riders voted on someone and not being a competition it wasn't necessarily focused on the riding but more on just like the event as a whole like the the rider that helped accomplish the goals of the event which were you know riding rider progression and the progression of women's free ride mountain biking and um so there's a lot of elements I guess that play into that but I I was voted on that um award which I was really proud of and um, it was definitely a highlight of the event for me.
0: You also have had, there was a video, I think this was after 2019, where they were interviewing Katie Holden and she was sort of, it was really cool actually, uh, where she's talking a bit about each of the riders that you know she invited. Her quote was, I think Hannah is the future. And I was like, wow, that's pretty good. I was like, you know, what do I have to do to get Katie to say like <laughs> something like that about me? And I was like, probably, I think, I think that ship has sailed for me, but I was like, that's pretty good. So year one, you have Katie saying, quote, I think Hannah is the future. Year two, you end up with a Rider's choice award. I think this is, this is going pretty well for you.
1: Yeah, it feels like it. Yeah, I definitely, I love it too. It's like the whole event is just such an awesome experience. Like I'd love everything about it.
0: Well, that's pretty good. So, I mean, hopefully, Rider's Choice year two seems like we'll have you back at year three. This can just be your new thing, your new favorite thing each year.
1: I hope so. Yeah.
0: Hey, I want to let you get going. But before I do, we do like to ask the people we talk to this question that's kind of tricky. We like to ask, what's your big idea currently? And, you know, we get an incredibly broad range of answers to this question. So it's always pretty fun for me. I'm not the one on the spot. You are. But uh let's put you on the spot. Hannah, what's your current big idea?
1: Yeah. So coming off the coming off the formation, my brain is in the headspace of thinking about women's free ride and how I can just take it further. And I'm in the, the headspace of thinking that, you know, I'll work we're still, like, in the pioneering phase of the sport, like, getting it started and doing laying the groundwork so that, you know, the next gen can way outperform us and, you know, do things that we can't even fathom quite yet. Um, so with that in mind, I'm really wanting to create more space for them to get involved early. Like, there's lots of girls who are, you know, really getting into the sport and um, I think have a lot of potential to to continue it further and so I really want to host more events in this in the same fashion of formation like where you have these progression focused events that are non-competitive but lend to riders pushing themselves and wanting to progress and like give providing them with a goal for wanting to improve so I have an idea of hosting an event here in Bellingham like that like we have this big jump line here in Bellingham called Blue Steel that I helped build as one of my first projects being with Transition. We got Nico Vink is one of our athletes. You might know of him, huge inspiration of mine too, but he helped us build this jump line in Bellingham and I got to help him build it. And now we have this rad series of jumps that everyone in the community can enjoy, whether they're spectating or riding or working up to riding it. Um, And I think it'd be really rad to host an event on it to just get more um pros out here and women pushing their big jump skills and then also like allowing the younger crew to come and spectate and be a part of it and get immersed in it from an early age so that's kind of where my head's at as far as big ideas
0: how early in the process of this are you
1: very early <laughs> i just pitched it i just pitched the idea to some people like yesterday so um and i'm going to chat with katie next week and hopefully with red bull and see if they'll um help provide some support and they seem excited about it so it it's looking good
0: wow that's awesome good on you wow I got to let you off this call because you got stuff you got, you got stuff to do. Hannah, this has been really great. It's great to connect with you. I think you've just done a phenomenal job kind of recapping year two at this thing. And um, I think you've also done a really good job of making real clear why everybody should be excited about year three.
1: Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it.
0: Well, hey, best of luck to you. And maybe last question, what's the rest of this 2021 look like for you? Is it it's been a fun question to ask, right? Especially after the last year where most of the answers were like, who, who the hell knows? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like things are kind of like we're able to actually trust that certain events in the future, we can like make plans again. Do you have some things on the calendar?
1: Yeah, I'm still transitioning from that who the hell knows phase into like, a okay, I think I kind of know phase. So that's still in the works and it's travel restriction dependent, but I have some events I want to do. Like I think Proving Grounds is happening in the fall and I want to host my own event here. And I think there's a couple other folks that are wanting to put some events on the calendar that we're still like talking about, like maybe that's going to happen. So it's kind of still up in but yeah just hopefully attending all those things and making some trips and film projects happen and then doing my role here with transition.
0: Are you thinking that your own event that you've just talked about you're think you're hoping that that might happen in 2021?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope maybe this fall be like get the yeah, get it started.
0: Good on you. Well, I then I really need to let you get off this call. <laughs> hey This has been fun. Thank you, Hannah.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you.
0: Congrats on everything you got going on and everything you're working on. And uh, I look forward to uh, checking in with you again sometime down the line. Yeah, sounds good. Excellent. You take care. Yeah, you too. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you are enjoying these conversations, then we would really appreciate it if you would just take 30 seconds and go leave us that five-star rating or review in Apple Podcasts so that we can keep this whole thing going and growing. I also want to say thanks to Hannah for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.